Okay, folks, let's uh, come back together. And if you have uh, a, your Bible with you, I would like to ask you to turn to Psalm 34. And uh, the songs we were singing as we worshiped were, were just calling us to focus on Jesus. And I felt the Lord wanted to emphasize that. Psalm 34, verse 3 says this O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Why don't we sing that together? I'll teach you a simple tune. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Sing it with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Lord, we want to do that. Just magnify your name. We thank you that uh, for the reality of your promise that you hear with us. And we just want to honor you this morning. We want to glorify your name. We want to recognize your presence in us. Help us just to yield our hearts to you that your Holy Spirit may have his way and your name may be glorified, magnified. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good to be with you again this morning. Thank you. I'm glad I was able to come back uh, and be with you. But uh, last week we looked at Romans chapter 1, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. And if you recall, the message last week focused on that uh, second verse uh, in Romans chapter 12. I called it uh, your glorious destiny. And we talked about uh, how we God, on God's heart for us, his thoughts towards us, is that we would experience or prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will for us. God has an expected end for us. He wants us to live amazingly, uh, try it for and prove it, experience it ourselves, 
that we would be changed from where we've come out of, what he rescued us from, and, and almost too good to be true, he wants us to be changed into his likeness, the likeness of his son. And we went on to see that uh, this destiny is not just something that happens automatically. You don't just drop on you. Uh, we have to choose, as we were talking about in, in uh, the, the talk that Jerry and I had just now. There's a choice involved. But God has made available to us, through his life in us, everything we need to walk in his will. We looked at that last week. Uh, but we need to accept this amazing gift this amazing offer, and the, one of the ways that we indicate or show our acceptance of what God has for us on his heart, heart is by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I know I'm, I'm going over some of the things, but some of you weren't here last week. You need to catch up, because if you missed this last week, uh, you need to have this clear in your own heart, in your own mind, before you can move on and walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why verse 2 comes after verse 1. That's very profound, isn't it? You'll catch up with it later in the day. What I want to share today, what I felt the Lord put on my heart, I uh, have called, what is that in your hand? And it's, it's, we're going to look at the, sec at the other part of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we didn't look at last week, and it's where Paul writes, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Kerry last week asked the question that every one of us asks at some time when we are faced with this call uh, by the Holy Spirit. How do you do it? Just how do you present yourself as a living sacrifice? And, and we think we can do it by paying our tithes, coming to church, attending uh, home groups, and all of those kind of things. And those are all important. But there's no, there's no uh, curriculum for this. It's just something that happens and God has designed very personally for each one of us. So there's no scripture even that I could give to you and say, if you do this scripture, it'll happen. God loves you too much to do it generically. He wants to touch you personally in your heart. He, he wants a personal uh, relationship with you, as uh, we talked about a little earlier. You have to present your body. You have to respond in some active kind of way, not just in your mind. Paul writes, and do not and do not. What does the and mean? It means that it begins with the presenting yourself as a living sacrifice on the altar, but there are some things that need to follow that. 
and, and now this is my and, this is not two different things that, that we have to do. In fact, this is actually not something that we do at all. And part of our problem is because we try to do it, but it's something that God does by his spirit in our hearts when we yield to him, when we are willing to get up on the altar like Isaac did. I mentioned to you last week that, that Paul goes into the, the background of why these two verses are here why the and do not and but be is there. And uh, Paul explained that in the first 11 chapters of uh, Romans. And you remember my diagram from last week, which I tried to simplify so that you could understand it better. And guess what? It got more complex. When you read the earlier chapters, uh, of Romans, it becomes clear that Paul is describing how, and, and he makes this very clear, this is, this is true for every human being. Nobody has an excuse. He describes how we are the result of the choices we make. And this is where our thinking, our mind, takes us. Our mind processes all the information that we get from our, our body, our senses, and our spirit, uh, and makes the decision. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we're the fruit of our decisions. Now, I did a fact check on that, and in fact, the maker's manual if you have one, looks like that, it tells us exactly that. Paul writes in a letter to the Thessalonians, a church at Thessalonica, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So he's talking about all of us, the whole of who you are, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, preserved blameless, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your whole body, soul, and spirit. So we live in a body, we have a soul or a heart, sometimes uh, those are the same thing in the scripture. We have a body, a soul, a heart, and a spirit. And they all work together. They're not separate entities that do their own thing. But your mind, your mind calls the shots. So Paul begins the therefore to describe the unsaved person. Now you need to listen, keep track of me carefully here. He begins by talking about what we would call an unsaved person. Somebody has no relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And the, the shortest way, really, for me to explain it to you 
what he says there is that because our spirit is dead, remember we body, soul, and spirit, because our spirit is dead to spiritual truth, and that's because of sin, choices, all of our decisions, all of our choices will ultimately lead us to spiritual death. And I, w I wish I had time to explain that, but I don't think I need to because Jerry and Sam have laid a solid foundation out of the book of Ephesians for you to understand that. But what Paul's saying that is if we don't have uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ, then everything we do is going to, and all our choices, all our decisions are ultimately going to lead us to spiritual death, no matter how good it may look on the surface. And that's true for everyone. Paul says that's how we were. Among whom, he said in Ephesians, and I'm using purposely some Ephesians verses because you, you're familiar with those, but Paul says among whom people who thought like that, also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. In other words, this is before you became what we call a believer. Some of you may remember that song by Frank Sinatra that probably ages me, Paul Anker that ages me even more. But uh, it went, and now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain, you remember? Uh, at the end of it says, the record, let the record show, I took the blows, but I did it my way. I did it my way. What a picture of a man who's living without Christ. Somebody posted this picture on the internet just last week, and, and I had to borrow it because this is such a graphic illustration of doing it your way, trying to reshape and remodel yourself, even your mind, as you do it that way. Paul's describing a way of life, and he uses, or two ways of life in, in Romans, and he uses two different phrases, and I want you to get those phrases into your mind. He describes the way of life to which we are doomed, doomed without Jesus as living according to the flesh. In Romans 8 verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You, you see, they're setting their minds on the things of the flesh. Another term he uses is having a carnal mind. In Romans 8 verse 7, he says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor in fact can it be? But remember, Paul is beseeching us, do not be conformed. Paul's talking to believers and he says, don't keep living that way. And you'll remember in 
uh, Ephesians 4 verse 17, Paul wrote this. He says, therefore I say, testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of Gentiles, in other words, unbelievers walk, in the futility of the mind. And then he goes on in verse 23 and he says, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And Paul calls those two different lifestyles. Uh, he has some other phrases which are really very helpful. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, uh, Paul talks about the old man and the new man. In Colossians 3, verse 9, he says, don't lie to each other since you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You can see what's, what he's talking about here. He's talking about what he'd written uh, in Romans chapter 9. He says, do not be conformed to the world. You've put off the old man and you now have been renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, put on the new man, the old man and the new man. <laughs> Maureen smiling. Uh, I'll tell you this naive thing I did one day when I was preaching on that particular passage in Hawaii and I looked a whole lot better shape than I do now nice and suntanned and looked like the guy the top part of that picture there so I felt the Lord challenged me to wear an old shirt to church and have a new shirt there so uh, okay I'm game Lord I'll do it so in, when I got to that point I took off my old shirt and before anything could happen, there were catcalls and whistles and shouts and hoorays and all the rest. I, we nearly lost the message there. But I put on my new shirt, a new man. I'll tell you this, they never forgot <laughs> taking off the old and putting on the new. Remember, Paul's talking to believers. So the implication is, the reality is, that many believers still walk and live and think according to the old man in their lives. And I would, uh, without wishing to offend anyone, I would believe that many of you are like that this morning. And means that the do not be conformed and the but be transformed is a vital, critical, essential uh, part of what the Holy Spirit will do in your life when you are yielded to Jesus, when you present yourself as a living sacrifice. In fact, that's the evidence that you've done that both for the Lord and for yourself, that you've genuinely made that decision in your heart to present yourself because you see the fruit. You see a different life. Now, when we become a believer in Jesus, Paul writes on, 
we become a new creation. That's a phrase he uses, a term he uses in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he says, we, we have the Spirit of Christ in us. And he continues in Romans chapter 8, verse 10, if Christ is in you, now listen to this, if Christ is in you, the body is dead, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Let me read that again. If Christ is in you, in other words, if you are a believer, that's what happens. Christ comes in you, the spirit of Christ. Paul says in another place, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It's here in your spirit. That's why you bow your head when you pray. You talk to your spirit. He is in you, and yet it's possible, even though your spirit is life, to continue to live according to the old man. So he's really saying that as a believer, you can be a new man in your spirit and yet continue to live as the old man. In other words, our spirit is totally renewed. The spirit of Christ in you, that's the new man. But the old man, my mind and my emotions and my feelings and my abilities to make right choices will still continue to operate the way it was always done. How I learned to get by in life, uh, climbing over other people, uh, uh, just making my own way through. That will just continue on and on and on, even though your spirit is in, renewed, until and unless you begin, you begin to make choices that move you away from con being conformed to the world. That's the do not and you make choices that begin to move you in the flow of God's destiny for you. That's the be being transformed. And now Paul says we're free to make those choices because God has qualified us, made us holy and acceptable. Talked about last, that last week. He's given us all the things that we need. And so we can present ourselves as being alive from the dead. We're born again, out of death, into life. He says, but now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, the old man and all that pattern of living, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, the new man, not in the oldness of the letter. And then uh, Jesus adds something into this, uh, what we're trying to understand here in John chapter 6, verse 63. It's the, he says it's the spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. That's why, as I said earlier, if you live according to the flesh, your old man, it profits you nothing. It'll lead you to spiritual death. No ifs, ands, and buts. Jesus says, it's the words that I speak to you. They are spirit. 
and they are life. So Jesus is, is telling us here, uh, Lord, help us to see this and, and, and get a hold of this. Jesus is telling us that the Spirit uh, works in us in our, from our new man, from the Spirit that dwells in us because we are now born again. That works in us through His Word. And, and we, we got there a little bit last week. Paul says, or the writer to Hebrews, may have been Paul, I'm not sure, in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Joints and marrow is what? It's your body. So he's saying, the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and body, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. What he's saying to us is that it's only the word of God. When we allow the word of God to, to come into our hearts, as a seed, as we talked about last week, it's only the word of God that can separate the old man from the new man and begin to transform us and change us. Nothing else is going to work. Now that's a whole lifetime of study. We can't go there today. And that's not where God wants us to go today. But remember this, God is not the variable in our life. Grace is always there for us. His abundant provision for every need. The variable is our minds, our will, our choices that we make. Let me say just a couple of things. I can't just leave God's word there. God's word is settled in heaven. It's a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. That's been my, one of my life verses. His word has been a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119 verse 140 said, your word is very pure. In verse 160 of that same psalm, he says the entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgment endures forever. John 17, 17, Jesus' prayer to his father before he went to the cross, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. So it's the word that is the spirit Jesus is telling us that when we let that come into our lives that will sanctify us, that will purify us, that will begin to do this transformation thing that God wants to happen in our lives. He says in Romans chapter 10 verse 8, what does it say? The words near you in your mouth and in your heart. It's in your heart because the spirit is in your heart. So the word is in your heart. It's there. 
but we need to let it out and let it begin to function. Remember in Peter, he says, the word is incorruptible. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, the, the seed is the word. So we have the seed in our hearts, which is the word. Uh, how come then that we can continue to live in the ways of the old man when we've been renewed in our spirit? Kerry's question, how do you do it? How do you do it? Well, I shared last week, if you remember, how God's, God's word uh, seems to be translated from the spiritual realm into the physical world we live in through being spoken. Think of Romans chapter 1 where Paul says the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The, gospel, the words of the gospel spoken out it somehow carries the power of God into the hearts of people who will receive that so that they can be saved. And, and I've, I've been tracking this. I said this last week. I've been trying to, to really understand this, but, but this is how it works. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, and God said. God said. And you can go all the way through to Revelation 22, verse 20, the same pattern. God said, God said, God said, Jesus said. Revelation 22, verse 20 says, He who testifies, is talking about these things, says, 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 surely I will come. In fact, even when Jesus, after his glorification, when he came back and he met uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, uh, he told Saul to go to Ananias to hear what he needed to do next. Not even Jesus would, would break that way that God communicates. Acts 9, 6 says, So he saw trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord Jesus said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must be do. Could I rephrase that? Present yourself on the altar and... Listen to the word. Let the word. Somebody will tell you. I wish I had time. Uh, Maureen and I have so many stories in our lives of how our life has been directed by God when through his word in one form or another. Basically what, I'm, what the scripture is telling us is that God's word is voice activated. And that means that he works through people. He works through people because only people can talk and hear in this way. Let me illustrate it just quickly this way. 
Last week, uh, we talked about beans, and, and I gave you an opportunity uh, to pick up a bean if you wanted to as a sign, as a, as a token for, for yourself, an indication of how you were responding to the Lord. And, and I wonder where your bean is now. One go there. But seeds will remain as seeds for hundreds of years unless you do something with them, unless you plant them. They're digging up uh, Pharaoh's tomb and, and, and things like that. They find seeds that were put in there thousands of years ago and they look just like this. And if you plant them, they grow. So seeds remain seeds unless you plant them, unless you put them into the soil and allow them to germinate and then to begin to grow into whatever God designed them to be. The, the seed provides the structure, the DNA and so on, and then it draws from the soil uh, the nutrients that it needs to begin to be whatever God designed it to be. Does that help you? Are you there? Ah, oh, thank you. So Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, remember this is part of his therefore. He said, faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God. So something in this process that, that we need to, to grab a hold of. Matthew 13, verse 28, Jesus said, But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. So just go back to our picture here. In, in this sense, good ground is somebody's heart who has presented himself as a living sacrifice to Christ. This is a picture of somebody who is flowing in the destiny of God for them. Come on. Jesus said it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It's God's words. And you know, I remember I remember as a Christian many times along my walk being conflicted as to do I pray to the Father or to the Son or to the Holy Spirit or, you know, what do I do? Any of you been there? Yeah, and, and then this helped me understand it. Holy Spirit tells us in 1 John 5 verse 7, there are three that bear witness in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. So they can sort it out. They won. The three are one. 
They don't care. They don't, well, no, they care. They don't mind who you address as long as you get the word into your heart. Don't be conformed to the words of the world. We fill our minds with the words of the world, where we go, what we watch, what we read. Be careful, folk. Be careful, church. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by this good seed of God in your heart. It's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. There's some good stuff on the internet. <laughs> I borrowed that. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 4. And uh, verse 1. This, is, this whole story from the life of, of uh, Moses is just a, a great story. It's, it's kind of like a compendium or a, a compilation of all of the things or many of the things that most of us will walk through when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to get up on the altar. And, and uh, you know, you, so it's not, it's not just that we get up on the altar and look at the stars and, and ask Jesus to download all that stuff in us. There's a do not and a but be transformed. So in this great story, which is really another story about what God has worked in, in Maureen and our lives as, as we've gone through the same kind of thing. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, remember, just go back for a moment, it's, it's the story about Moses and the burning bush. And uh, you, you know that story well. So I don't need to go and rehearse that again now. But in verse 3 uh, of chapter four, uh, 3, it says, Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight. So Moses turned aside. Could have walked on by, but he saw this bush burning and he turned aside. And so God begins, after he turned aside, God begins to talk to him. And, and we don't have time to read all of it, so just, let me just pick some of it out. In, in verses 7 to 9 of chapter 3, God shares his heart for his people. He tells him what his, his expected end is for his people and for Moses and how he's going to be a part of what God is wanting to do in that. And he says to Moses in verse 10, come now therefore and I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now we always say, well, God brought them out. But God said, no, I'm sending Moses so that you'll do it. See, God works through people. The church today has just got to, oh, I'm going to sit back and let God do it. God ain't going to do it. He's going to use you and me to do it. 
This was Moses' destiny, if you like. And it included, when he embraced it, many different changes of location and things to do and all of that. We don't need to go there. But, but Moses' response is in Exodus 3, verse 11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And Moses begins to trot out his excuses to God. He said, well, who shall I tell him? What's your name? Who shall I tell him? Sent me. And then in chapter 4, so God gives him a whole explanation of who he is, a, a beautiful description where he says, I am that I am, that powerful passage of Scripture. He tells that to Moses. And, and uh, Moses says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, well, Okay, suppose they don't want to listen to me. Moses doesn't want to get up on the altar. And you'll find yourself there perhaps too. It's not easy. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, it's a rod. He had his shepherd's staff with him. He was wandering around the shepherd of the wilderness looking after sheep. And verse 3 says, God said to him, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and became a serpent, a serpent and Moses fled from it. You'll do that when you see what God's got for you. But then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand, caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. And God says uh, in verse 5, that they may believe the Lord God of their fathers has appeared to you. God's saying, now when you pick up that rod... That's going to be the, the way in which they will believe that you came for him, that you uh, have heard from me. And God goes on. God is so generous. God is so patient. He's so long-suffering with us folks. If we only knew, he gives Moses all kinds of other signs. He says, put your hand in your shirt, and he brings it out, and it's full of leprosy. And he says, put it back, and it comes out, and it's clean. And then he, he, he shows him about turning water into blood. Moses just looking for excuses. In verse 10, he says, hey, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Seinfeld would call him a slow talker said, I'm a slow talker. God's getting a little ruffled by Moses now. So he says to him, well, who made your mouth? Haven't I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what to say. And so Moses says, send somebody else. Please send somebody else. 
by the hand of whomever else, he says. And that, that phrase, by the hand of, doesn't mean carrying in his hand. It literally means to somebody else to speak. You see Moses struggling with God's call on his life. And then verse 14 says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Isn't not Aaron the Levite your brother? And I know he can speak. Now listen what God says. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself will be as a mouth for you He will be as a mouth for you, and I will teach you what you shall do. So Moses trying to wriggle out of it, and God says, okay, I'll bring, I'll use Aaron, and he'll be the talker, but I'm still going to give to you what I want you to tell him and when you tell him, that'll be just like me speaking. Can you get what God is saying? Can you get how much God wants to have his word spoken out? And he says in verse 17, and you shall take this rod, and with it you shall do the signs. And so Moses... Uh, went back and went back to Egypt and verse 20 is the last one I want us to look at there it says Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the rod of God the rod that he had thrown down when he'd gone through all this process with God and, and, and had accepted what God gave to him, it became the rod of God. Uh, so much that we could say there. Let me just give you three points. Only when he turned aside that the voice of the Lord came to him. Only when Moses took action, responded, Moses was still trying to understand, and that's okay. When, uh, when I first got the call to, to change from being a veterinarian to, to uh, serving in other ways for the Lord, I didn't understand it properly. And I went to one of the pastors in the church and said, help me understand this. And he said, just go quietly, settle in your heart that whatever God says you'll do it, and then go and ask him, and, and I wish I had time to tell that story too, but then, and then only, God spoke very clearly to me, and that's why I'm here in front of you today. But it's okay to ask God. Second point is this, that what began as a rod for Moses, that he carried around in the wilderness, yeah, I wondered. Maybe too much time had passed. But I wondered if that rod that he had was not perhaps the same rod that he had used to kill the Egyptian. 
That's a Kuhnerism, Kuhneology. But it's a thought. But that rod became in his hands the rod of God. And as we saw in the scripture, that was a symbol of the exact words that God wanted to say to his people with power and with authority. And that's true for you and me too. God's word is light, it's life, it's living, it's truth, it's pure, it's settled in heaven, it's proven. God says, I'll be your mouth. Well, how does that work? Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. I can't leave Moses just there. At the end of his life, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 34, uh, verses 1 to 6, uh, Moses went up from the plains of Moab and the Lord showed him all the land. The Lord said to him, this is the land which I've swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I've caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. This is profound. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moed according to the word of the Lord. And he, God, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, and no one knows his grave to this day. What an epitaph for a life. Jerry died according to the word of the Lord. Anna died according to the word of the Lord. I'd love to see that on my tombstone. John died according to the word of the Lord. And you know that's true for us too. There are many things that God has shown us uh, he's shown us what the marriage feast of the Lamb's going to be like, and he's shown us what the throne in heaven looks like. And, and we're not going to go there until we pass from this life into the next life. And so I think we take comfort from this. Sometimes we think, well, I didn't get done everything that I wanted. Paul said the same thing. That's not the point. The point is that you die according to the word of the Lord. Now, how can you die according to the word of the Lord? Only when you have yielded yourself, presented yourself on the altar, and let that word in your spirit come out of your spirit and begin to transform your mind and your thinking. We tend to do what Moses did. We say, well, I'm not perfect, you know. So I thought, well, what about Abraham? He wasn't that hot either. He passed his wife off as his sister, you know, a couple of times. 
Uh, what about David? Well, he committed adultery, and then he had his mistress, at that point's wife, a husband, murdered. What about Moses? Well, he killed an Egyptian, and he, he was disobedient to God. One time God said, now just go, go and speak to the rock, speak to the rock, and he said, no, I'm taking my rod, and he hit it, and that had serious consequences for him. What about Paul? Wrote most of the New Testament. He started out his career killing Christians. If they said Paul was outside and we were meeting here, we're gone. But God used each one of them because he restored them and redeemed them. And he loved them like he does you and I. We always say, I'll oh, let somebody else go. You know, I've got my stuff I'm doing. And so my challenge to you is why don't you be the somebody else? Why don't you be the somebody else? So my question, God's question to us this morning is simply this. Would you just take your Bible, if you have one, in your hand like this? Because God's asking you, what is that that you have in your hand? Is it just a rod? Maybe with your name on the front that you carry when you go into church so everybody thinks you're this cool Christian? Or has this become for you the rod of God? Because you threw down your rod and you picked it up and God turned it into the rod of God. My voice is going. Remember the story of uh, Peter and John? It says after, the, after Jesus had gone uh, to be seated at the right hand of God, and they had, Pentecost was passed, and they were going to the temple one day, and uh, there was a man sat at the steps of the temple by the gate, beautiful, the scripture tells us, and he used to beg for alms, and, and he wanted help. So he, he approached Peter and John. And, and their answer is the answer that we should grab a hold of. Write on your mirror. If, you want, if, you like, if you're into tattoos, have this tattooed on your forehead, but backwards so that when you look on the mirror, you can read it yourself. Acts 3 verse 6. Peter said, silver and gold. I haven't got any of that stuff. Have I none? But what I do have, I give to you. In Christ's name. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We have the rod. This may help you in your decision this morning. In the bulletin, 
You'll see the Psalm of David, Psalm 23 is, is printed out there. Uh, this is actually a picture of somebody who's walking in the spirit with a transformed mind. Uh, and note verse 4, it says, Thy rod and thy staff shall accomplish me. Now I want you to stand and, and, and I invite you to, to pray this psalm out as a, as a declaration of your choice this morning. You know, when we speak God's word, we hear God's word, even from our own mouth. And what? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. So, Let's turn to Psalm 23, and, and I, like, I invite you to stand with me, and let's just pray this out together. Lord, this is our prayer this morning as we, uh, we receive your word in our hearts and as we make a choice, whatever that choice may be, we would pray this, that this might be the story of our life from here on out as we yield ourselves to you. Let's pray this together. The, let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. God bless you.